Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Good morning, everybody. It is great to be here with you. My name is Eric Wakeling, if we've not met. Uh, and it is my privilege to share from God's Word today as we continue this series in the book of Galatians. Today, Galatians 5, 1 through 12. Uh, you know, one thing I was thinking about uh, when I was considering uh, this sermon today and even the topic that we have here, standing firm. Uh, I remember when I was little, when I was a little kid, uh, even maybe a couple of weeks ago, you remember seeing this awesome 70s picture of my family that lived in Laguna Beach. But we, we always, like, we were just at the beach all the time. The kind of family that's down at the beach always. I grew up in Laguna Beach, then we moved to Capo Beach. So all the cities I lived in had the word beach in them. So that's what we did. And, and so it was great. It was an awesome time. I love the beach. But I remember when I was little, I'd always do this thing. I mean, you know the little kid game where you're kind of jumping over the waves as they come up onto the shore, and you stand holding your little kid's hand, and they jump, and it's cute and precious. But I would, I would scooch up. I remember getting a little bit deeper, and I'd do this thing where you kind of wiggle like this. Do you know what I'm talking about? And then your feet sink in. And uh, so your feet get good and sunk in. And I'd, I'd be deep enough that the waves are crashing against me. And it would be this game that how can you stand there while the waves are crashing against you, but your feet are completely locked in, right? And uh, it was a fun, I, I love doing that. But it reminds me a little bit of this. Now, analogy sort of doesn't always work because it's like on sand and you don't want to get too messed up here. Okay, but, uh, <laughs> but within that, it's this sense of, I remember standing firm in that while the waves are crashing against me. And I was like, whoa, you know, and you're doing this whole game. And, and for us, this is, I think, even like a picture of what we have when we stand firm in the freedom of Jesus. Waves will crash. Storms will come, right? All of that. We will have waves crashing against us. But we stand firm and strong. But what we stand in is the freedom of Jesus. So start turning to this passage, if you haven't already, Galatians 5. And as you turn to Galatians 5, what we'll see in these 12 verses is, uh, and even on your notes, you can see this um, relatively extravagant subtitle that I gave this, was a three-movement symphony in the Spirit, okay? Uh, it's, it's a little bit much, but I kind of liked it. And what we have <laughs> is this... Uh, it's these three sections, okay, like these three movements within these 12 verses. And each of them, you'll notice there's a bit of this, this rise and fall, a bit of like a positive and a negative, a positive and a negative, and it goes up and down. Each section where Paul will give a, a positive or a reminder, and then he gives a warning, Okay, gives a positive reminder and then a warning. And then he gives an encouragement in the third one. And then, I mean, he takes the biggest punch shot at some bad guys here, uh, maybe almost that you could ever give. So we'll get there in a moment. But that's what we're moving through. We're going through these three movements. So here we go. In the first movement is verses one through four. So let's, let's read these. It says this great uh, verse, verse one, and it's, uh, there's even a song we'll sing later today, and we've sung a lot that are these exact words that says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So you have this positive, this positive reminder, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. But then verse 2, it goes, behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. 
And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking, and here's why, it's not just the act of being circumcised, it is this. You are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. So you see these positive words and then, man, it gets pretty strong and pretty intense. But within this, uh, this positive part, this is one of those uh, moments where grammar matters. Now, I'm a person that loves grammar. It doesn't mean that I won't make mistakes. But, you know, I was the sixth grade Orange County Spelling Bee champion. And so it's one of my life, you know, my great lifetime achievements. And I've bragged about it before, and I will brag about it again. <laughs> uh, but it is just something that, you know, I don't know, whatever it was. Like, so, so spelling was something good for me. I mean, it was all of Orange County. And then I went to the regionals, lost early. It was pretty disappointing. Uh, but... It's okay. Uh, and then, so that, that whole thing with spelling, I love, I love grammar. I love that. I hate the Oxford comma. Anyway, we can move on. But uh, here is a moment where grammar matters. And it is in this sentence where it says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And then it says this, keep standing firm. And so what you've got here is something where this is an indicative statement, where it says, Christ has set us free. It's in this tense that shows that it was a single past action that has been completed. Okay? This thing of us being set free, that Christ has set us free, means it has been finished. It has been accomplished already. That is something that is done. It's an indicative statement. Then there's an imperative statement that comes after it. Keep standing firm. This is your command. This is what you are being told to do in this moment. But when you are given this imperative, it's out of the indicative. So before you fall asleep, I'll just start speaking normally. Okay, so... (laughs) uh, But what you have is this thing that has been done, that Christ has set us free, we stand firm in that work that has already been accomplished. So when Christ gives us a command, he gives it to us out of this work that's already been done for him. And then out of that work that's already been done, he gives us this command to stand firm. We don't stand firm in ourselves. We don't stand firm in our strength and our goodness and our obedience and our morality or whatever that is. We stand firm in the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross and through the power of his resurrection. That is what we stand firm in. We stand firm in the freedom, in the grace. We were set free not to go back to the law, not to go back to slavery, but set free for freedom. That we would live a life of freedom in Christ rather than returning again to the yoke of slavery of the law. And we'll see some of this even continue in these following weeks. Verse 13, verse 25 has some similar uh, stuff in here with that. But we, we keep standing firm. Don't give in to that human nature pull to want to do things ourselves. Because as we've talked about, this is just what feels most normal for us, is to do it ourselves. It's, it's what's tangible. It's what's empirical. It's what we you know, can, can see, touch, smell, taste. All of that is what's in front of us, is just what we do. Trusting in the power of God feels passive or weak or, you know, it's hard for us to wrap our brains around. But we have to continue to pursue that. It takes faith 
And it takes trust to stand firm in what God has done. And so it is. It's like that, that little kid on the beach that's wiggled his feet down to lock in. Or it's almost like if you were to walk out into a rushing river. Maybe you've ever walked into a rushing river that's coming pretty quick. You know, and if you, you know, like you're standing on solid ground. And maybe for the sake of the analogy, we could even say our feet are, are cemented into that rock. Right? But we're facing upstream and the water's coming. And imagine like when you've stepped into that rushing river and what it feels like. You don't just casually stand there, right? You can't just casually stand. And if you casually stand, whoa, even if your feet are locked in, you're going to slam back and get drowned. But you lean in, right? You lean forward. You stand firm. You stand strong. And so we stand firm in the work of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that. We have that. And so we can stand firm in what God has done. We lean into it strong. Uh, I like this passage, even when we think through this, from Psalm 1 that talks about this man who is blessed. And it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, I also here don't want us to get confused that we would then doing the law isn't what is what will save us. Okay? But what we do is we are, we meditate, this person who meditates and loves the word of God they will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. So we will be then, when we stand firm in the work of Jesus Christ, we will be like that tree firmly planted, strong, rooted, deep, with the word of God and the work of Christ. Uh, my wife and I, just uh, this past Wednesday, we celebrated our 20th anniversary, which was awesome, right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, exciting. We have fun. We're heading on a trip tomorrow. Just excited to celebrate that, that God has, has blessed us over these 20 years. But I think about this, too, even with, with marriage, however long, you know, whether you've been married 20 years longer than that or more or only a few years or, not, you know, whatever. But when it comes to marriage, you think about today, 20, 20 years later for us, we have to keep standing firm today in the vows that we made 20 years ago, right? That's for us. We made these vows. We had this day and we had this day that uh, was, you know, very, it was full of fun and celebration and strong emotions and everything's beautiful and good. And, right, it's like all great on that day of the, of the wedding. And, but then 20 years later, with bills and kids and stress and struggle, <laughs> you know, you, you, you have this love, but you have to stand firm in those vows that were made 20 years ago. It's not every day is not a wedding day. And I'd say in our in our lives with Christ, we even think back kind of the wedding day of that day that we were saved, right? That moment that we came into relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's full of passion and strong emotion and everything feels good and perfect and whatever. And, you know, 20 years later, it's still full of bills and stress and struggling kids and whatever that is, right? Like life comes along with its hardships and heartbreaks and heartaches and, and all of that. And we, though, then in these moments today, we consider back to that moment, right? That we stand firm in the work that God did in us on that day of our conversion. And obviously in the work that he did on the cross and through his resurrection. So we keep standing firm in what Christ has done. Um, And I like just kind of this little phrase of, we stand most firm when on our knees. 
We stand most firm when on our knees. And so we seek the Lord in prayer. We seek the Lord in in what he would do in us. Uh, Just a little story even here as we keep talking about this standing firm uh, of my life. Uh, So I grew up in this you know, great Christian family, Christian home, went to a small little Christian school, even from first to eighth grade. And uh, it was in, then for high school, I went to a big public high school, I went to San Clemente High School, and going to this place from this little like eighth grade class of 30 kids, maybe mo- at most, into, you know, 2,500 people in a public high school, it was like, Whoa, this is a big change, right? And uh, I was in a pretty, like, sheltered, strict environment and all of that, and then go into this, like, crazy world. And so in the midst of all that, you know, getting hit in high school with a lot of temptations and little uh, things that I was, like, that I was enticed by. And, you know, whether that was people drinking or partying or whatever that was, like, a lot of that kind of stuff was, was enticing and tempting. And I, I even remember being sort of tempted by uh, the— <laughs> testimonies I'd hear in church, you know, and I'd hear these testimonies in church about people that live these crazy extravagant lives and then turn to Jesus. And I was like, my life's boring. That's how I felt. You know, I had this moment of like, oh, my, my story is boring. And uh, so, you know, there's all sorts of stuff wrapped up in that as well. But um, it was my junior year where my parents made one of the bigger mistakes of their lives. And that was to go away for a week and leave me home. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that, parents. <laughs> uh, I was supposed to spend part of the time at this friend of mine named Matt with his uh, family, and then I could spend some time at my house. It was this weird lack of clarity that resulted in mistakes. Um, but it was that first weekend that they were gone. They were gone over a weekend, a school week, and then another weekend. And that first weekend that they were gone, that my friend Matt and I went and bought a bunch of beer and got drunk. And we... Um, you know, he just got totally drunk. It was actually strangely a miserable experience with throwing up and all sorts of, you know, all that that goes into it. But, um, but that kind of set us off on a season of time where that was what our lifestyle was. Even the next weekend, so we decided after that night, we had so much fun, that we would, um, <laughs> that we would throw a party at my house because my parents were gone, which I'll tell you at some point the story in full detail, but it essentially results in over 100 kids there, um, where it was, like, I actually had to call the police on my own party. <laughs> and so I called the police on my own party. It's, it's got a fuller detail that I just don't have time uh, for today. But, uh, but it was this, this whole crazy thing where I got in trouble. So I ended up getting in trouble, got caught for having the party at my house because you have neighbors. And, um, and <laughs> which is something that the, you know, the intelligence of the 16-year-old male did not process through ahead of time. But, um, Apologies to those of you who are that, but hopefully not many today in this service. Um, But out of that, so I got in trouble and all, but it didn't stop me. I kept going, right? I kept doing that stuff. I kept going to parties, kept drinking, doing all of that. Uh, And even, so getting in trouble didn't stop me. Even over the summer, my, my good friend Matt, he, uh, he sort of like confessed before God and, and stopped doing that. That didn't stop me. But it was uh, the next winter during senior year, winter of my senior year in high school, where I went on a snowboard trip with my youth group. 
and uh, ski snowboard trip, and we would ski snowboard all day, and then come back, and it was about 40 of us, and we'd be in this big cabinet, this big living room, so 40 of us could be there, and this big living room could fit all of us to have like a, these night meeting things, where we'd have these ex- extended times of worship, and there'd be a fireplace, and the, I remember the worship leader just kind of sit in the hearth of the fireplace with his acoustic guitar, and we'd be having like songs and singing for a long time, and the youth pastor would kind of sit up in the, the front, off to the side, you could come up and pray with him if you had stuff going on in your life. And I remember it was in the midst of that time where I had just had this conviction from the Holy Spirit about what I was doing. It wasn't getting in trouble. It wasn't watching other people confess. But it was this moment here in that, in that moment of worship where I was convicted by the Holy Spirit of what I was doing. And I remember I, I actually, <laughs> I like stopped everybody and I was just like, hey guys, can we just stop? I mean, it wasn't like a room like this or something, you know, it was 40 kids. But I stopped and I just said, I have to tell you something. I need to right here, right now, confess to God and ask for his forgiveness, but I also need to confess to you. Because I was living this sort of double life, right? Like where with my church friends, I'd go to church and act like the good church kid, partially because my dad worked there. <laughs> and then, uh, then I'd also go and, you know, with my school friends, and I would just act like this whole completely different life. And so I confessed, I said, I want to confess to you as my friends that I've been living this life and I ask for your forgiveness as well. And it was a significant moment, you know, significant turnaround. They, they gathered around me and prayed for me. It was this beautiful moment of me confessing the sin and really repenting and turning from that sin. And it was, it was, it was after that moment, okay, it was the rest of my senior year where then I had to keep standing firm in what Jesus has done. Right? It was those moments, it was those Saturday nights when Matt and I would get the call from people, hey, there's a party at so-and-so's house, do you want to come? And we have to keep standing firm and go do silly stuff like go ice blocking and play roller hockey and watch Saturday Night Live. You know, just doing stuff to like keep our minds away from like that life of partying and say, no, 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 I'm going to keep standing firm in the work that Christ has done in me and the commitment that I've made to him, I'm going to stand firm in that. And so that's how the rest of that season went. It was, it was great. And to the point where I could go off and go to UC Santa Barbara for my freshman year of college, which was kind of a crazy place, uh, and was able to stand firm while there living a life of purity before God. And so I just say that, you know, to you to help you understand that the standing firm, it's not always the decisions. It's the, it's the regular days that are after the decisions, Right? And so we keep standing firm in that. That's that positive, like, warning for him. And then he gives this, or a positive reminder, then he gives this intense, intense warning, this negative that comes where he says, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. You know, that seems strong, but he says you can't add to Christ without subtracting Christ. We can't add to the message. We can't add obligations that we would have before God that we have to accomplish out of our own selves. When we do that, we sort of ruin the whole thing. And so we have to prevent ourselves from doing that. And we have to remind ourselves of that. And that's why we would have, you know, part of why we have views on things like baptism. That we don't believe that baptism is something that saves us. That something that is a regenerative act. We believe that that baptism 
baptism is a symbol of the work that Christ has already done. It's a way that we stand firm in the work that's already been accomplished. Because if we say that it saves us, then we're saying that we're adding to the law. Much like circumcision here, they're adding to the law. It would be the same way of adding a work to, of our own to a work that Christ has done for us. So that's that first movement. The second movement that we have as we look through this is uh, verses 5 through 9. And it says this. Here's the positive. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith, working through love. And then it turns. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion didn't come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Okay, so he says these these great words, right? These positive words of through the Spirit we wait for hope. That we, through the Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, by faith, it says, okay? And kind of like Ephesians 2 where it is, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Grace is the work of God. We have faith in the work that God has done. And same here, through the Spirit, by faith, we wait for hope of righteousness. That, that God is working, that God will win the victory, the ultimate victory. We will see that come, you know, as we struggle through each day knowing. But we have this vision even as a church that we say we are being changed by the gospel. Continually, we are saved by the gospel, but we also live by the gospel. We're saved by the work of the Holy Spirit. We live by the work of the Holy Spirit, right? We are continually being changed by the gospel. And our vision as a church is that we would, we would get that. We'd understand that. We'd live it. And so that's what we hope for, you know, in this. And I really think this book of Galatians has been, you know, I mean, it's, it's honestly like a bit repetitive, right? I mean, it is driving the same point over and over and over because that's how important that it is to Paul that we understand this, that all of this comes because of the work of God, not ourselves. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we live every moment of our lives. We have to rely completely on God. There's this uh, kind of funny story that happened to my wife, B and I. We went, um, my parents had this house down in Mexico. Uh, it's about five-hour drive south from here. It's a couple hours south of Ensenada on the coast. And it is seriously in the middle of nowhere. It is, there's nothing around it. And you get, you go way on a dirt road off the main highway out to the coast. And there's a little neighborhood, uh, make 30 homes or something like that. They're in this little community. But north of it, nothing. South of it, nothing. It is just empty wasteland. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's awesome. <laughs> and so it's, it's got this great beach and uh, it's just this beach that runs, you know, obviously you can just go all over the place and do whatever you want down there. And so my parents had just got this, uh, this quad and a brand new quad, you know, a little like ATV, four-wheel motorbike kind of thing. And so uh, B and I decide to go and take the, the quad just out. And it's fun because you can just go on the beach. You can go wherever you want, you know. And so we're just cruising down the beach. And we're going for like for over an hour. We're going south uh, of the house. And just so at this point, I mean, we are 
there is nothing and no one anywhere. We passed this, this beach that we, that we call Dead Beach because it's this cool place where, for whatever reason, there's just all this, these like dead creatures just come up onto the, onto the sand and die in the spot. There would be like, we saw stingrays and lobsters and fish and birds. And then the, uh, the grand finale was when there was a whole whale just beached itself on this beach and no one gets rid of it. You know, it just stays there. So you watch the whole process, even from trip to trip of watching it decompose and see just the bones and all that. So it's cool. It's a cool place. And uh, <laughs> I think it's cool. And so we, we head uh, super far south and we're just having fun. And uh, there, there'd be the beach and then it comes up on a big dune. And then uh, after that dune, we could see this look like a salt flat that would go out. It's just perfectly flat ground and just covered with, you know, the dusting of the sea salt over the course of this. And so just playfully, we're like, oh, okay, you know, we're up on the dune. Let's, we'll go down this hill, and then we'll hit the salt flat, and it'll be like, you know, we'll set the land speed records like they do out in Nevada, you know, and just, you know, just kind of playfully joking around. And so, all right, and so we're on this together, and we head down the hill, and we hit the salt flat, and we're about to head out, and we get about 100 feet out into the salt flat when we stop moving and start sinking. <laughs> and what this salt flat was, we were, I don't know, I honestly, at this still, still at this point, don't know really what we were in, but uh, it was this black, smelly, sticky mud, and uh, I don't know what it was. Maybe you got you know after we can have some lobby conversations about what this could be, but uh, it was really gross. It smelled bad, and it just we sunk into it above the tires, and we we're just spinning out and not moving. And I go to step off the quad, and I step off into the mud, it's like up to my waist. I just sink super deep. And so we're trying to walk, you know, that trying to get your feet, you know, get your shoes and not fall off. And you got to go this hundred feet to the sand, you know, to get out of the mud. But, you know, I try to get off the quad and put it in reverse, like while being off of it and scooting it back like that, but it won't move. It's just, it's just completely stuck. And I'm not the most handy. (laughs) As I stare at my wife. Uh, but, you know, so I'm just trying to figure out, okay, what do I do here? What do I do in this moment? And I look around, there's, there's no trees anywhere. It's just sand. And then these tiny, tiny little shrubs with little branches like this big, you know. And so, okay, here's what we'll do, you know. And we will go and try and get all these. Because I know you can put, you know, you try to get stuff under the tires and in the track to get traction, right? And so I'm picking all, we're just spending like an hour picking these tiny little, you know, little branches that are soft and trying to line the trail, you know, and put them under. And it's just, and every time you go out there, you're, you know, that whole thing. And it's just, it's just like this nightmare. And we're covered in this smud and it smells and it's getting hot. And it's been a long time that we're gone at this point. And we just, we finally get all these little branches in there and we're like, Okay, okay, this has got to work, this has got to work. So I stand next to it, start it up, the quad, you know, and it's kind of hard because you're sunk in and you're reaching up like this to get under the handlebars and put it in reverse and trying to, trying to go backwards, but it just doesn't even move. And I had this moment where I'm thinking, we are several miles away from my parents' home. I can see no one. There's no cell phones that work in this area. And I just have this moment, you guys, where I just all of a sudden just went, God, help me! 
And it's like weird, just like all of my frustration and everything is just coming out. And I'm, I'm not crying, but I'm just sort of like, ah, you know, and freaking out in this moment. Like, what? How are we going to do this? It's going to be so, oh, uh, you know, just everything about this is terrible. And, and I just think, what are we going to do? And my wife's standing on the sand just looking at me like, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> my husband's lost it. We're trapped miles away from anything, any civilization. Where, what are we going to do? And I just, it was this moment, though, for, for me of just feeling like I don't, I don't know what to do. There is nothing I know of what to do. I am just stuck. So we decide to just, I don't know, let's try and grab some more twigs again. So we grab, you know, and just keep getting the little leaves and twigs and picking them for another hour. So we've been out here for a few hours just working on this thing and frustrated. And we put the little sticks and twigs and we get on, I go up and just like feeling like, please, you know. And for whatever reason, I start it up. And I start going back, and it's working, you know? It starts moving, and it's like, don't lose momentum. You know that moment of, don't lose momentum. I'm (laughs) just like walking backwards. And it gets onto the sand, and I remember just saying, thank you, God! You know, like, ah, so grateful in the midst of this just craziness. So we ride back. We're covered from head to toe in black, sticky mud. The brand-new quad is just completely covered in black, sticky mud. And I got my dad standing there like, what are you doing, you know? (laughs) But just, you know, this, I, there's these moments in our life where we just get stuck. We're stuck in these moments and we don't know what to do to get out of them. And it reminds us that the only thing that we can do, the only hope that we have is from God. And whether... We all believe that God freed me from that mud. <laughs> I don't know. But it's the real moments of life, right? It's the real moments of life when we're stuck. When we don't know what to do. When the person is left that we love. Or the person is sick that we love. Or we're coming up against things that we don't understand why these things are happening in our life. It's all of that, you know? It's the moments of crisis of faith and doubt when we, do we really believe that God has done what he says he's done? And we wonder in the darkness of the night, when we wake up in the middle of the night, God, is this really real, you know? It's these moments that we can feel stuck. And we have to rely on God through faith. Faith in what God has done, not what we do. That's the only way. And so don't let then someone creep in and tell you that in the midst of those times that it's up to you. That you buck up, that you do a little bit better, that you obey more, that you follow the the basic instructions before leaving earth of the Bible, right? Now the Bible's the story of what God has done, not the story of what we do. It's the story of what God has done in our lives. And so we trust. Don't let that little leaven leaven the whole lump of dough. What they had, they don't even know it could have been even one person that's coming in and deceiving them. These people that we we call the Judaizers, that came into these people who are following Jesus and they say, no, 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 you've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow the whole law. You've got to do all this stuff. They're the leaven, okay? They've come in. It might have even just been a few, but they're messing everything up. 
And, and sin is called leaven. These people with this false gospel are called leaven. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, Paul talks about leaven again. He says, your boasting isn't good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. So sin is not in you because of what Christ has done. So don't allow other things to creep in. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That we are are to live this life with the sincerity and truth of Jesus. And so we remember that, right? And so we live out of that. Don't be distracted by these other elements because one small person in your life can bring everything down. It's like this person that comes in and and ruins like the spirit of a sports team or something that comes in and just ruins the spirit of that locker room, right? It can only take one to bring it down. Don't let someone bring you down in that way. Because Paul says to them that he believes in them. This third movement that we have here is so great where it says in verse 10, it says, I have confidence in you, Paul says to them, right? This is this encouraged. I have confidence in you. In you, in the Lord, <laughs> that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the, then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. This verse, okay, this is the call out, verse 12. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. So what Paul's saying here is these people that say you should be circumcised should castrate themselves. That's how strongly Paul feels about this, okay? This is intense language. This is about as strong of language as you can get with how he feels about what these people are doing and bringing a false gospel in. Whatever that false gospel could be, if it's this this attitude of a works-based legalism, if it's an attitude of a consumerism that I, I come to live this life for Christ for what I get from it, not for what I give. Or if it's this attitude that I can build up the, like my Christianity, this what I believe Christianity to be by whatever I like or it feels good to me rather than what the word of God says. All of these false gospels that we would have today and various, various others, any of these, Paul's saying when a false gospel comes in to lead you away from the grace of Jesus Christ alone, you might as well castrate yourself before you be one of those people that would bring that. Whoa, right? (laughs) Dang, that is intense. But he says to them here, I believe in you. I have confidence in you, in the Lord. I have confidence in you that with Christ, you can do this. So don't let these messages come that would pull you away. Don't let these lies creep into your life because I have confidence in you. I believe in you. You can step forward into this life of Christ to live boldly because of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't listen to the lies. We keep standing firm, right? We stand firm as the river is rushing, as the waves are coming. We lean in and we stand firm and we have confidence because of Jesus. We have confidence because of the crucifixion and the resurrection. 
right? And we stand firm. But standing firm sometimes for us will take a level of honesty and vulnerability before God and before others. Kind of like myself on that snowboard trip, right? There's a level of honesty before God, even yourself and others, about what are those things that you sort of tend to to go towards, right? What are the things that you want to stand firm in instead of standing firm in the grace of Jesus? So I encourage you today to consider that. We're going to worship, we're going to give, we're going to have this opportunity to, to respond as we sing. And maybe something that you just need to do in this moment is to consider, what am I standing in instead of standing in the freedom of Jesus? Because Christ has set you free for freedom, a life of freedom in Christ. And so in this moment, we're going to have a chance, the ushers are going to come forward after I pray. And uh, you have a chance just to give, to worship through giving. You have a chance uh, even to fill out the card. If you're a guest or visitor, there's this thing in the the back of the seats there that's called the card. And you can fill that out just to enter into this, this community, to be part of our community here at Calvary. We want to welcome you into our family. And that's a great step that you could take to do that. And so I encourage you to do that. Um, you know, even I'd love to, after the offering has been passed, I'll come over to this prayer point. We'll have people over to prayer point. If you're a pastor, elder, I encourage you to come and be part of those prayer points. And just to receive prayer during this time of worship for this. Let's pray. Almighty God, these things like at some level just seem so simple, but they can be so hard for us. So, Lord, I pray that when the lies of this world come creeping in, Lord, the lies that we would do these, you know, that we would live this life of faith out of our own strength or the lies that our obedience will somehow earn us something with you, God, or the lies that we can build up a version of Christianity that is made up out of our own minds, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would convict us but you would also give us the strength and power from your Holy Spirit to live free, God. To believe that what you have done is enough. That song we sang, that your grace is enough, that that would actually be true in our hearts, God. I pray for that. And I pray, Lord, that we would stand on you, Lord Jesus, as that solid rock. Lord, I pray now, too, as we give, Lord, may these, these offerings be, be pleasing in your sight, God. May they be a, a, an act of worship from us, Lord, out of love and joy and not merely duty and obligation. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.